You're listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. We pray that today's message helps you to connect to Jesus for life change. Yes, this is a cub shirt. Um, there's a reason. If, if, if not just to overtone Adam's offensive Yankee hat that he had on back here, um, baseball season opens this week, and uh, that's kind of exciting to me. Uh, but the other reason that I thought it was so appropriate uh, is to talk about disappointment. So, you know, have you ever gotten excited about something at the start, but then it just doesn't finish well? Uh, yeah, usually by like January 2nd, right? All these great ideas at the start of the year, but then all of a sudden, well, it just didn't go as planned. And... Uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a great poet, died about 141 years ago Friday, as a matter of fact, for those that care. Um, great is the art of beginning, but greater is the art of ending. Pretty, pretty profound, right? I don't think he made that up. Uh, the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, we have these words of, of wisdom from Solomon. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. You know, we, we can start things well, and, and growing up in the Chicago area with a dad who was an avid Cub fan, and I loved going to Wrigley, I still love going to Wrigley. Um, there, there were many years we had these great ideas at the start, but it just didn't finish well. Till 2016, by the way. Um, what few people realize is we actually won back-to-back -back World Series before that, but that was like 1907 and 1908. And uh, so, but, but that's kind of the way I look at this story of Samson. And we got so excited, right? We're working through this series in the book of Judges um, to renew us. And I trust and pray that you've been renewed, that you've been challenged, that you've been encouraged through this series. But we got so excited in chapter 13 because... God appears, I believe a pre-incarnate Jesus appears to Manoah, who is Samson's father, to Mrs. Manoah, because we don't know her name, and Samson's mother, and said, you've been barren, but I'm going to give you a child, and that child will begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And so this was this child of promise born into a Nazarite vow, and we, we understand about the Nazarite vow from Numbers chapter 6. You can go back and kind of read. We talked a little about that last week. But uh, today we kind of finish up his life and we realize that what started off so well, such a great promise, so much anticipation, just didn't go well. Chapter 13 was all, was all about his birth narrative. Chapter 14, we see him leaving the boundaries of God's love and protection, crossing uh, into enemy territory. He goes off the road. We looked at the, the idea that he stepped into the vineyard, which was just the whole idea of grapes and the vine against the Nazarite vow. We saw him constantly jumping into sin, chasing his own desires. So as we look at Samson's life, I, I think much like every character in the Bible except for the person of Jesus, we never want to elevate them to the point that we want to emulate their life. We can learn from them, so what do we learn from Samson? What do we learn from this life of, of destruction that started off so well but just didn't finish well? 
Well, I think we have to stop and say, am I being renewed? Because what God is doing, God is doing a refining work. He's doing a uh, renewing work in his people. And in a weird way, when we look at these, these four chapters in Judges 13, 14, 15, 16, we see God doing his work in a way that doesn't make sense to us. And so we have to stop and say, God, am I being renewed? What do you want to do in me? What do you want to do with me through this text and through this passage? Do you enjoy God fully or do you need to be renewed? Are you walking in obedience and surrender? Are you walking in intimate fellowship with him or do you need to be renewed? I think when we look at the text and when we look at scripture and we compare that to our own life and we see the battle that, that Samson dealt with as he stepped off the path into the vineyard, last week we talked about how that's so much like all of us. We have this battle between the spirit of God that resides in the life of a believer and the flesh that still exists. And there's this battle that, that's waging war. And so I think the question for me daily is not, do I need to be renewed? But in what way today in this moment, do I need to be renewed? And maybe you kind of feel the same way. Renewal is not something that we, you know, plan out and, hey, once a year we're going to be renewed. No, I think every day in the life of a believer is a new opportunity to be renewed in our walk with Christ. And so looking at these last two chapters, Judges 15 and 16, I want to just point out three things. I want to give us three points that, that I believe are critical for you and I as followers of Jesus to continually check. To, to look at our life and evaluate and check three things that we must continually be renewed in our walk with Christ as we grow in obedience, as we walk in his purposes. Uh, the first thing in, in this passage I want to point out is, is simply we have to check our agenda. We have to check our agenda. Uh, as chapter 15 opens... It's really a continuation of what happened in 14 where um, Samson crossed over the border. He went into Philistine territory. He saw this woman. It was lustful in his eyes. He drugged mom and dad down there. He set up this marriage. The marriage was never consummated. He's angry. He approaches the dad. Dad says, look, I mean, I didn't even think you loved her, so I gave her to your best man. Uh, I got another deal for you. I got a younger daughter who's prettier. How about her? So now he's just ravaged with this sense of, of revenge and anger. Even this offer of a younger, prettier daughter wouldn't appease him because now he was hooked on his own agenda. Look at chapter 15 of Judges. Look at verse 7. And Samson said to them, these are the Philistines, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. Samson, in his anger, in his revenge, um, went and he basically caught, if you read the passage at all, he went and caught some foxes. The, the Hebrew word may have been jackals. We don't really know. But um, he, he, he catches 300 of these things. Now, just picture this craziness in your head. Catches 300, ties tails together of two of them, puts them in pairs, puts a torch in between them and sets them all loose in the fields. This guy's a nutcase. And I'm thinking, God, how are you fulfilling your purpose, right? Judges 13, 5 says he will begin to deliver the nation from the Philistines. 
And, and what he's doing is he's constantly harassing. He's going out and he's beating these guys up and he's killing people. Now he takes these jackals or foxes and he releases them and burns their crops. The stuff that's stored, it spreads down to the olive grove. These guys are mad. They go burn his, his what was, he thought, his wife and her father. Now he's angry. And this, this vengeance just continues to build and build and build. Judges 15, moving down into chapter 11, if we just look at the last of that, and this is as he's interacting with, with uh, Israel, he says, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And what you hear in his language is he's running a personal agenda here. He's not saying I'm doing this in a way to honor the Lord. I'm doing this in a way that I am the one who will begin to deliver Israel. He's like, no, they did it to me. I'm going to do it to them. I'm going to avenge myself. And now I realize as, as this defender of Israel, Samson's calling was to defeat the enemy or at least to begin that process. But somewhere as I'm reading through this text, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting and hoping that somewhere along the line, he, he's doing this as a battle for the Lord and not simply for his own purposes or his own agenda. I'm waiting for this man of God called by God from the womb to step up and go for the glory of God. For the glory of God, I want to do this. For the glory of God, I, I'm going to deliver uh, the Philistines into the hand of God. But he, he doesn't. It's just this personal quest because he's pursuing his own agenda. And so all along the boundary here of the nation of Israel and the Philistines, if you just picture in your mind the Dead Sea and, and Jerusalem that's right there, all the way to the west of the Mediterranean Sea, these valleys that kind of run to the west and southwest, this is the border for the, for the people of Israel and the, and the Philistines. And, and as he's, he's working that boundary and he's working his way along, there's this process of crossing over into sin and coming back and crossing over and coming back. And it's interesting because years later, that boundary is still there. Because that's right about where David begins to, to battle. This is where Saul is resting in the, in the, on the mountains with the valley in between where we have the encounter with David and Goliath. Because Saul's army is perched right there and the Philistines are perched right there. So uh, there, there's still this battle going along. No one's taking ground. And it's, it's in that same little area within that general vicinity that we see David later in 1 Samuel 17. And I just want to contrast the language and the agenda between Samson and David. 1 Samuel 17 verse 26, and David said to the men who stood by him, this is the armies of Israel, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You hear a different language here? You hear a different agenda moving down into verse 36. He says, your servant, that's speaking of himself, has struck down both lions and bears. Oh my. And, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. 
a different language, a different agenda. First Samuel 17, again, moving down to verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, because now he's marching down, no armor, no anything else. I can't handle that big Saul's trying to dress him in his armor. He's like, nope, that's not for me. That's not how I do warfare. I do warfare in the name of the Lord God, the armies of the, the God of the armies of the heavenly host. Because in verse 45, he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I... Listen to David's language. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Samson's attitude was totally different than that. He's running on his agenda. I'm, I'm mad. I'm upset. I'm going to do this for myself. Judges 13 verse 5 says that he began he was there. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. But he's not doing it in the agenda of God. He's doing it his own way. There's no doubt he's harassing them and they're angry with him. But he's running on his own agenda. So we have to check our agenda. Is my heart God's mission? Am I, am I seeking him? Do, do I long for the things that God longs for? We have to check our agenda, but every moment, every day, we also have to check our activity. God, do I need to be renewed in my agenda? God, do I need to be renewed in my activity? Uh, we see Samson's life, I think like many men of God, he's living in isolation. He's living in secrecy. He's living in aloneness. Nowhere do we see him rallying the men of God. He's living this reckless life. He's self-driven. He's wandering in and out of sin. And yet, strangely, God is using him to accomplish the things that God desired. But, but I, I thought to myself reading these, I'm thinking, what would happen if he had been walking in intimacy with God, if, if his agenda was God's agenda, if his activity was the activity that God was actually calling him to? If we saw him seeking the heart of God and, and going, God, what should I do? No, we see him just being crazy and running around. He steps out of bounds to go marry this woman from Timnah. After all this, he, he ends up down in Gaza and he's, he's shacking up with a prostitute. And, and it's like, there's just this craziness of stuff. He, he then is back in his own area and he, he sees this woman named Delilah. And he's just constantly driven by the desires of his flesh. His activity is, is sinful. He's being drawn constantly to his sin nature. After Samson burned the fields and the crops of the Philistines in revenge, then, uh, then killed some of the Philistines there, uh, 15 verse 8 says that he then stayed in the cleft of the rock at Edom. And, and then when we pick up in verse 9 of Judges 15, it says, Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid <clears throat> excuse me, on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, Why have you come up against us? And they said, We have come up to bind Samson. To do to him as he did to us. Here's just his constant revenge. Verse 11, then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom. Now, just stop here for a second. The Philistines come up. They approach the men of Judah. Hey, why are you invading us? We came to bind Samson. We came to get Samson. 3,000 men rallied to go get Samson. Now, strangely enough, 
This is the only time during Samson's judgeship do we see an army develop. And that's to go get their own guy. What kind of leader has he been? He, he's got them angry. But listen, listen, to what, listen to what they say. 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock at Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? There is a defeated people. The nation of Israel saying, don't you realize that the Philistines are rulers over us? Where's their devotion to God? All, all Samson has shown them is, is that his activity is, is just all by himself. He's just this lone rider out there doing his own thing. He's not rallying the people at all. Verse 12 says, and they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. I think in some weird, strange way, this was a heroic act by Samson. Because he knew that he could probably take these guys. Why would they take 3,000 men to approach one guy? And yet at the same time, if they did, the Philistines are going to be mad and they're coming in. Or if they didn't accomplish the task or he ran, the Philistines were going to come and they were going to take out these, these men. So in some weird, heroic kind of way, I think this was Samson's way of caring for his brothers, maybe understanding part of his rebellion. Maybe his ego had taken him and he realized he doesn't need anybody. I'm not sure, but I find it just an interesting statement. But also realize in this moment with his activities being what they are, it's difficult to be a leader if you have no followers. There were at least 3,000 men that were willing to approach Samson and talk to him on the nation's behalf. But he preferred to work alone, fighting the battles of the Lord as though they were his own private feuds. And his activity just didn't line up with God's agenda. You see, participating in God's mission it challenges us. It encourages us. It, it excites us. It moves us to things that are God-sized. But when we get involved in God's mission, when we embrace his mission, his activity, his agenda, it, we begin to operate outside of our own flesh. We begin to operate within the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to do things that only God can do through us. And Samson hasn't been demonstrating that and rallying people around. So what happened? They, they were comfortable. They were comfortable un, under the, the leadership or press, if you would, of the Philistines. They became comfortable with the status quo, living in emotional and physical bondage to the Philistines. And as a leader, Samson failed to arouse them to action. And when that happens, a church is in pretty bad shape. I remember several years ago, uh, uh, just a great quote from Tom Rayner, and this has stuck with me through the years. He simply said this. He said, when the preferences of a church or church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. Why don't you just sit in that thought for a moment? 
Think about our agenda that needs to be checked. Think about our activity that needs to be checked. When the preferences of church members, my desires, my activities, my agenda, are greater than their passion for the gospel, the mission of Jesus, the church is dying. Let us never be that church. Amen? Let us never be that church. When the men of Judah learned that the Philistines wanted only to capture Samson, they offered to help. They said, hey, we'll help with that. Verse 14 tells us that by the Holy Spirit, Samson broke those ropes. Easily, he picked up a relatively fresh, new jawbone of a donkey, and he slew the Philistines, about a thousand that were right there. But here's what I wondered. Here he is, he's, he's easily breaks these bonds, he slays these guys, and then strangely enough, he writes a poem on, on the heels of that. This guy had to be quirky, am I right? Hey, let me just whoop a thousand guys with the jawbone of a donkey, and then let me write a poem about it. Uh, he wrote a riddle back in chapter 14, it's like, this guy's just a cut up, he's sort of weird, he's sort of quirky. Uh, but then... I'm thinking, here's Samson. He picks up this jawbone. He, he's fighting and killing a thousand Philistines. You know where my mind went? What are those 3,000 guys doing standing there watching him fight? Did any one of them think for a moment? It never tells us that that Samson, as a leader, as a deliverer, all of a sudden rallied the men and they were on board. It never tells us that one of them picked up a sword. Uh, if, I, if I just imagine for a moment standing there and, and Samson's dead, boom, he kills one, he kills 10, 25, 50, 100. Would I have thought to go, hey, let me pick up a sword and get in the battle? How many of us sometimes as, as church members, we say that we've received the mission of the church, but we fail to become participants in the mission of the church? We want to be uh, just standby people. We want to observe while someone else does it. Well, that's why we have Pastor Scott, and that's why we have Pastor Brad and Pastor John. They're going to go do those things. I'm just going to be a casual observer because I'm comfortable in the status quo. I'm comfortable with my preferences over the mission of the church. It never tells us they did anything. Our activity, we, we just tend to watch and watch others fulfill the mission but yet what God calls us to is, is his agenda and his activity. We need to pick up a sword of truth. Be responsible for the time, treasure, truth that God entrusts to us. Not simply hope that someone else is going to share the hope and the love and the grace of Jesus, but to actually pick up the sword of truth and do it for ourselves. Praise God, I, I trust and pray that you will go pick up a, an Easter invite. But when you do, please remember this. You're not simply inviting someone to church. You're inviting them to Jesus. The goal is not to get people in church. The goal is to get people to Jesus. 
So if you're, if you're going to hand it out, don't be afraid to take the initiative and the power of the Holy Spirit and pick up the, the weapon of truth and simply say, I'm giving this to you because I truly believe that God loves you and he is pursuing you. Not just go, hey, come hang out at my church with me because it's Easter. We need to be bold proclaimers of the truth of Christ. So we have to check constantly our agenda. We have to check moment by moment uh, the activity of our life and does it fit in accordance with God's mission and his purpose. The third thing we have to look at and, and check all the time is our affection. Yeah, it had to be an A, right? It had to be an A. We have to check our affection. Let me begin by asking this question. Is your attitude one of intimacy with Christ and dependence on him? Do you live with an attitude of affection that you are saying, God, I want to live in intimacy with you. I want to live in deep dependence on you. You see, we see Samson over and over in these chapters crossing the border into sin, but never once do I see him retreating and spending time with the Father. Never once in, in these three chapters that Samson is living, 14, 15, 16, do I ever see him consulting the heart of God. God, what would you have me do? God, how would you have me live? God, where would you have me go? Where would you have me not go? God, what would you have me do? What would you have me not do? God, I want to please you because you and I are in relationship with one another. I have deep affection for you. I'm living in deep dependence on you. And we never see that with him. We see him chasing the desires of his flesh, the lust of his eyes. But we never see him chasing the heart of God. Uh, we don't know him, but we know his heart. Because in his own way, he thought he was strong enough to defeat sin on his own. And yet over and over, we see him giving in because he didn't realize he was wrong. He was not strong enough to withstand the schemes of the devil and the temptation of sin. He couldn't do it on his own. I think to determine Samson's affection, let's just consider for a moment his personal prayer life. Can we do that? And as we do, let me just challenge you to consider your personal prayer life. There's two times in these four chapters, and I'll narrow it down to three because he was only alive for three of the four. There's only two times, and, and I may be wrong. I was wrong one other time. Um, <laughs> I may be wrong, so check me on this, but I only see two times in this passage of Scripture that Samson actually called upon the Lord. Only two times. It was never, God, I need you. God, I'm seeking wisdom from you. God, I love you. And I just need to know your love and your presence. It was none of that. There were two times. One is when he defeated the Philistines in, in chapter 15. Look at verse 18. And he was very thirsty. Hey, he just killed a thousand guys while 3,000 stood and watched him. So he was very thirsty and, and he called upon the Lord. And he said, now get this, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? <laughs> what was his agenda? What was his activity? Totally self. You see, 
prayer speaks to the intimacy of the dependence and the relationship that we have with God. Pastor Robbie Gallaty's at Long Hollow in, in Hendersonville, Tennessee. And last year he preached a really powerful message and this quote really stuck with me. He, he simply said this, he said, the frequency of your prayers is an indicator of your dependence on God. The frequency or lack thereof is an indicator of how dependent you are upon God. He says, what you say to God without saying a word, get this, without praying, is simply this, God, I'm good. I don't need you. I'll call you when I do. Well, God, when I need you, I'll call you. There's no dependency on him. So in this one moment when he has a need, he calls out to God. We'll look at the last time in, in chapter 16 as he comes, his life comes to a close. But I just find it interesting that what I don't see is a deep affection for the call and the love and the grace that God placed on his life. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? Consider your own intimacy with Christ. Consider your prayer life. Consider your communication with God. One of my favorite old pastors, preachers, authors, a guy named Warren Wiersbe, and, and he said, when God is our greatest joy, then prayer becomes more of a loving relationship than a commercial transaction. More of an intimate relationship than a commercial transaction. Is God aware of my physical needs? Of course he is. Should I take those to him? Of course I should, because it shows my dependence and reliance on him. But even more than that, I should go to him without a need. I should go to him in gratitude, thanking him. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the shed blood on the cross. Thank you for conquering death on my behalf that I can live eternally with you. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I just want to grow in intimacy with you. I want to grow in loving relationship with you. God, I'm more concerned that we are good than all my stuff is good. God, I'm more concerned that I'm conveying your love and receiving your love and grace and walking in intimate relationship with you far more than I am concerned about this stuff because I know you love me and you got me. So Samson's in this crazy place. But I think even with the, the lack of affection, I think God will always bring us to a place of dependence on him. And that's what we see. We're introduced to Delilah, and you're probably familiar with the story. If not, I mean, she's betraying him. She's taking money from the leaders of the Philistines. And, and three times she, she comes to him and says, hey, well, what's, well, why are you so strong? What's the secret of your strength? And three times he gives her false information. And she comes this fourth time, and, and he reveals the source of his strength. But I find it interesting because without the affection, I don't think Samson realized how far he was from God. And I think what I see in the text is representative of us because sometimes we don't realize how far we are from God. Look at verse 21, chapter 16 in the book of Judges. 
and the Philistines seized him. Now, you've got to realize three times, at least three times, the, the text only tells us maybe she did a lot more. I don't know. Maybe for sake of space and time, there were more. But there's at least three situations. And, and hey, tie me with, with bowstrings that are, you know, un, unworn. Or tie me with new rope. Or braid my hair and seven things and, and nail it to the ground. Same interesting, same phrase back in Judges 4 when Jael strikes the, the stake through the, the temple. It's, it's the same image of, of nailing it to the ground. And, and so he, here he says, hey, here's what I'm going to do. And, and again, Delilah just yells out, hey, the Philistines are upon you. And, and he is just, he, he's lost his power. Verse 21, and the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. There's three words here I think that are critical that help us understand the power of sin. Circle them or underline, gouged out his eyes. In other words, they blinded him. He was blind to sin. They brought him down to Gaza and bound him. Sin is, is binding. Um, and, and he ground at the mill. So sin is also grinding. One commentator very perfectly put it in that way, right? That, the, that broken point that he realized who he was and where he was and how much God still loved him. But what he didn't realize is that he was, he was blind, bind, and grinding because of sin, he was in a bad place because of sin, and he didn't even realize how separate he was. See, sin separates us from fellowship with God. Before you come to know Christ, the Bible says you're dead in your trespasses and sin. You are spiritually dead and separated from God. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, which is separation. In the life of a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus and you have unconfessed sin, it creates separation, not eternal spiritual separation. It causes a break in relationship. You have broken fellowship and relationship with God, which causes a separation in your relationship. Samson didn't even realize that he was broken in relationship and separated from God. Because verse 20, right before that, this is what it says. And she said, this is speaking of Delilah, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and he said, get this, listen carefully. I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. I got this. I got this. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. There was a separation in his life and fellowship because of sin. And some of us this morning, there's a, a break. There's separation in your life because there's sin. There's unconfessed sin. You and I run on our own agenda, our own activity with no affection for God. And we are blind. We're bound. We're grinding through this life because of unconfessed sin. And God is saying there's always an opportunity for renewal. There's always an opportunity for re renewal. And when you call, I'll come. That's been repeated theme through this series. And I trust and pray that you are experiencing that kind of renewal. He didn't realize the separation that was there. He was calloused, his heart. He was running on his own agenda, his own activity. He was isolated. He was alone. He was pursuing sinful desires that were right in his own eyes. And now here he is bound, blind, grinding the grain, enslaved in the consequences of his own making. And I don't think it's a surprise that they put him at the grinding mill. You remember what he did in chapter 15? He burned their crops. He destroyed their stuff. Wow, with well, the irony now. Okay, I tell you what you're going to do. You're gonna, we're going to put you on the grinding mill. And he's pushing this wheel over and over and over, blind, bound, 
pushing this wheel. And I think for the first time in Samson's life, he realized he needs a savior. See, he was born privileged. We talked about this last week a little bit. You can't, you, you can't inherit salvation. I think for the first time he realized, I'm messed up. I, I'm messed up. And, and, and this is his moment of renewal. We don't know how long he was there, but I'm telling you what, it wouldn't take long for him to realize this situation is unlike anything he'd ever experienced in his life. Because he's never been vulnerable physically. He's, he's never been conquered physically. And now here he is. And I believe while he's pushing that grinding mill, hours, days, weeks, we have no idea. I believe that was the moment God was drawing him close. He was probably confessing things. He was probably asking God even for a last opportunity to defeat the enemy. God is always pursuing. He's always seeking renewal. So in verse 28, it's kind of interesting. Then Samson called to the Lord. This is his second time. This is the second prayer that I see where he actually calls to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. I wish you would have said, for your honor and glory, God, in my brokenness, I've wrecked my life, and God, I want to do this for your glory, to fulfill what you've called me to do. But, but again, here he is just crying out for vengeance. Maybe you need to realize it's time, your attitude, your agenda, your activity need to come in line with Christ, and, and you need to call on him like Samson. In a moment of brokenness, God, I need renewal. I need to check my, my agenda. I need to check my activity. I need to constantly check my affection. God, am I walking in fellowship with you? Is your heart my heart? Is your agenda my agenda? Is your mission that you've invited me to predict? God, is that my mission? There's a really powerful verse in this text, and it comes from a very unlikely character. But I think it draws this story up in, in such a way that, man, I, I just couldn't work past this. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 15, Delilah is pressing Samson. It's interesting, this is the same phrase used back in chapter 14 when the woman at Timnah was pressing Samson for the answer to the riddle. And what it tells me is he has no moral character. There, there's no dependence on God. Because he's pressed by a woman and he, and he gives in. Women, that's not against you. It's just that he's walking in the flesh and he's not trusting the Lord for, for these types of things. And so it's, it just talks about how she pressed him. But then look at verse 15. And she, that's Delilah, said to him, that's Samson, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? How can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? And, and I have to wonder, while Samson's pushing that grinding mill, did he think about that? God, I say that I love you with my lips, but my heart is far from you. Jesus would come back and quote Isaiah's words because Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, as he's speaking, he says, you hypocrites. You hypocrites. 
Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, Jesus understands this principle. He, under, he understands it today. He understands it today. Some of us are living today in the same denial. We, we praise him with our lips, but our heart is far from him because we have no affection for God. If, if we don't have affection for God, our activity will never line up. If we don't have a deep affection for God, our, our agenda will never line up with his agenda. So this morning, I just want to draw us to a, to a close by, by drawing our affection to him. We have to constantly check these things in our lives every day. Every day as a follower of Jesus, God, is my activity, is my agenda, are my affections lined up with you? Am I pursuing you in your kingdom? Let's bow our heads in an attitude of prayer. And this morning, I just want to ask the compelling question. Are you enjoying God fully? Are you walking in fellowship with him? I don't, again, I don't think the question is, do I need to be renewed? Every one of us need renewal this morning. The question is, in what way do I need to be renewed? And as the team is coming, we're going to stand in just a moment. We're going to sing and we're going to rejoice over the, uh, the, the glory and the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ and what he's done on our behalf. But this is an invitation for each of us just to, to sit in this moment, to worship and, and to do business with the Lord. What is he inviting you to do? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me just pray for us. Father, in this moment, in this place, we just surrender to you. We ask you to have your way with us. God, I need to be renewed this moment, today, Lord, every day. We want to be a church that is constantly renewed, walking in obedience with you, walking in fellowship with you, committed to your mission for your honor and your glory. If you're sitting in this place, you need to do business with the Lord. I invite you to do that. I'll be down front to your left, my right. If you want to come and talk and pray, I'd be happy to do that. Maybe there's someone near you that you could just feel comfortable to reach out and, and pray. Maybe you need to remain seated in an attitude of prayer and just do business with the Lord. If you want to stand and lift your voice and sing praise to the Lord in affection for him, please do that. But do it with hearts that are close to him and not with just your lips. Father, do business in our hearts this morning. Meet us in this place uniquely. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Thanks for listening to sermons from Southbridge Fellowship in Raleigh, North Carolina. If you have a question about the message you just heard, email us at info at sfchurch.com. For additional resources or service information, visit us at sfchurch.com.